I'm excited today to welcome a very interesting guest, the former chair of our alliance, to talk to us about how the unions and employee representatives have been managing during COVID and what the prospects are for how they'll continue to work in future. Welcome to Talking Work, the employment law podcast by Use Laboris. In each episode, we invite a different guest to discuss what's happening in the world of work. If you're an HR professional of any kind, this podcast is for you. I'm Deborah Ishihara and I'm responsible for the legal content on our website. Today I have Chris Engels with me. Chris is a founding partner of Kleissen Engels, our Belgian law firm. He's an absolute expert on the unions and their role in shaping the workplace and writes a great deal about this subject. Hi Chris, many thanks for coming on the podcast. You've just written an article for our flagship publication, The Word, which is hot off the press now, and I wanted to ask you about it. One thing you discuss is the practical difficulties that trade union reps, works councils, staff reps and others have had during the pandemic in terms of not being able to negotiate in person. Could you tell us something about the difficulties they face and how they've been dealing with them? Hi Deborah, thanks for having me over. Yes, indeed, there are some difficulties. Um, At the moment, all kinds of collective bargaining almost takes place uh, virtually. And up to the COVID crisis, we were basically used to having very long and extended uh, bargaining meetings, especially when we're dealing with social plans in uh, cases of restructuring. Well, of course, these meetings are not possible anymore. And in these meetings, what was quite often very important was the fact that you had breaks, because during a break, you could easily talk to the opposing uh, side at the negotiating table and see where we could land with some kind of a deal. Of course, when you're doing things on Teams meetings, it's very different. Meetings are shorter or better structured, and you don't have the opportunity to talk to the other side, basically, uh, during a break. So works councils, health and safety committee, trade unions, they all have to deal with this. I can absolutely see how that makes a massive difference, actually. Um, What sorts of issues has COVID presented particularly to these bodies? What sort of questions have they been trying to address? Well, first of all, um, there were issues concerning homework that came up. Uh, And we all understand companies sometimes voluntarily uh, put their people at, uh, at working at home Uh, And nowadays, governments even oblige companies uh, to have their people work from home, if at all possible. So issues of homework come up uh, that basically we didn't think about it when uh, people were, for instance, every now and then working one day at home. Mm. But if you're now working full time from home, uh, the issues become different. Everybody has a laptop. Everybody has an Internet connection. Yes, But staring at your laptop screen for eight hours in a row while doing your work is, of course, not the same as working on a bigger monitor. Do people have monitors uh, available to work from home? Do they have ergonomic chairs? Because all of us are very proud that in all of our offices, we have fantastic chairs to sit in. But what do people sit in uh, when they're working at home? Mm. And what if you're a couple working? Both of you are working, both in companies uh, where homework is mandatory, or you're sitting at the same living room table. And what do you do when you have a conference call? Uh, how do you keep uh, the privacy? How do you keep uh, data protection regulations uh, at, at a decent standard? What about the additional cost of heating, electricity, etc.? All these issues come up uh, that have not come up in the past. And we see nowadays that 
a lot of attention is being paid also at national level by trade unions who try to negotiate deals concerning uh, working conditions with uh, respect to home working. And of course, other issues that come up is feelings of isolation. Uh, employees working at home uh, for the whole day, whole weeks in a row. Uh, I hear company doctors uh, talking about a very, for me at least, a very new phenomenon being uh, not the burnout, but the team out. Mm. People who feel isolated, disengaged. And of course, uh, for managers, also the issue how do I uh, manage a team remotely? I think it requires quite different skills uh, from managing uh, a workforce uh, that is present in the company. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, the survey uh, results from the survey that we organized uh, with employers, we see that 20% of these employers uh, seem to think that issues concerning this disengagement, feelings of isolation and mental health of their workers is going to be a very important topic in the three years uh, to come. I think health and safety, uh, I think it's fair to say that the the COVID crisis brought health and safety up uh, to the level of the boardroom. It has become an issue of boardroom importance and board members feeling responsible for the health and safety of their workforce due to the crisis, uh, realize more than ever that this is something which is very important. And I don't think it's going to go away or lose importance in uh, the years to come. Yeah. So you reckon that this is going to outlast the pandemic itself and and persist into the future, these kind of questions? Definitely so. Um, Homework is there to stay. Mm -hmm. We nowadays get even questions from our clients whether or not it would be possible uh, to have their workforces at home almost all the time. Uh, Some of these uh, global employers are even thinking about uh, reducing the working uh, posts available at company premises to 10% of what they used to have. So it means that that homework is certainly going to stay and will have to be regulated one way or the other through collective bargaining agreements and additional legislation probably in the future. But also I think together with this, of course, is also the issue that we hear a lot of uh, from Germany and France with respect to work-life balance and the right for people to disconnect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think in general, we need to realize that this kind of homeworking and maybe even emphasized now because quite often two partners are working at home, sometimes the kids can't go to school, etc. But this is, is, is the right to disconnect is certainly something uh, that we have to look at. People work differently at home. Uh, you receive emails at very different stages of the day uh, and night uh, when kids are going to sleep, etc. After the kids are going to sleep, some of the parents take up uh, work again. So this is there is going to be issues with respect, I think, uh, to working hours. That's one thing. And of course, the right to disconnect is something that will be discussed. And we are discussing, starting the discussion also at the European level, uh, is uh, going to be discussed in uh, the, the near future, I think. Of course, you can say there is a right to disconnect. It, it should be there because it implicitly 
with uh, working time limits, etc., I think we also uh, have a right to disconnect because if you only work eight hours a day and you have worked your eight hours, then implicitly you have after that a right to disconnect. But I think there's a lot more to it uh, that needs to be discussed. Uh, absence of any sanctions of people who don't react to emails. How are you going to organize the right to disconnect uh, by um, making uh, it impossible to send an email, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what the right uh, uh, solutions for this are, but I think this will be a hot issue to discuss also uh, in the near future. Mm, I see. And also, do you think that all these virtual meetings and negotiations that you mentioned earlier on with the unions, et cetera, will continue in a post-COVID world? Or, or do you think that these will get back to being face-to-face? COVID, I think, has changed the world forever. Uh, this is going to lead to continued changes. Um, I think it led us to having shorter meetings, and I'm, I'm looking at it myself internally in our organization. Our meetings are structured, better structured and better organized. And I think that will continue in the future, where maybe in the beginning of COVID, uh, we still try to postpone uh, having uh, physical meetings, thinking that they would be possible. Uh, nowadays, I think, uh, and for the future, even after COVID, I think virtual meetings will be the rule. And physical meetings, especially, especially when you're dealing with an international context, for instance, dealing with European works councils, where for physical meetings, you have to fly in people from all over uh, Europe. Uh, these kind of meetings are very expensive. And I think these kind of physical meetings uh, will only be kept in uh, exceptional circumstances. Mm -hmm. When you really have a big restructuring deal that you need to announce to your European Works Council, mm -hmm. uh, you may want to look them in the eyes in order to explain uh, what is going on and why uh, you have to make uh, such a negative announcement as that. Mm -hmm. But for the rest, I think uh, as a rule, uh, we will have more virtual meetings. I think uh, things are never going to go back uh, to what they are. Of course, never say never again. <laughs> but I, I think quite a few things are there to stay. Homework is one of them. Uh, we are not going to be able to tell employees uh, that they have to pass 100% of their time uh, in the office where we used to imply that maybe it wasn't possible to work as efficiently, etc., from home. I think uh, most of the statistics prove uh, that it's the other way around and that people are actively uh, more efficient. So mm -hmm. there goes the argument for always being in the office. Mm -hmm. All of this, I think, is not going to go away anymore. Mm -hmm. And finally, Chris, I was very interested to read the last point you made in your article, actually. You were you were talking about platform workers and workers in, in industries that have been decimated by COVID. Most of these workers are considered self-employed, and as self-employed, they're not entitled to any unemployment benefits. And you make the point that during COVID, many governments have included this category of workers in their support measures, regardless of their employment status. But you say this begs the larger question of whether the entire discussion on the status of workers, so whether they're employed or self-employed, that's been playing out across the world is still actually relevant and whether in fact trade unions should be allowed to represent these self-employed, unemployed workers too. And you say, if not, who should? The interesting thing about that is it speaks to a possible turning point after which the world might start to think and operate really differently. Could you elaborate on this? Well, the thing is, we have been discussing and and. To be fairly honest, I wrote a PhD in the 80s on the distinction between employees and self-employed. 
the so-called master and servant relationship. Uh, when I wrote my PhD in the 80s, end of the 80s, uh, I'm not uh, a thousand years old yet, but end of the 80s, um, the discussion had been going on in case law forever, mm. how to make that distinction and how to pinpoint whether somebody was really an employee or a self-employed. We are at least 30 years further and we are still discussing the same things mm. and we're still discussing the status of uh, some workers with the added difficulty that in some countries like in the UK and in Italy, you have introduced a third class of worker, mm. not an employee, not a self-employed, but a worker who is not really truly self-employed, but not really an employee uh, in uh, the strict sense either. So where we had one borderline that was difficult to define in the past, uh, in some countries we have two borderlines. Mm -hmm. And the two borderlines become even more difficult when you start applying uh, these distinctions to people in the gig economy. Mm -hmm. To Uber drivers, are they really employees? If you can choose whenever you want, whenever you want to work, uh, if you can choose how much you want to work, etc. Mm -hmm. Are you still an employee? Are you a worker? Or are you truly a self-employed? Mm -hmm. And of course, added uh, difficulty, uh, ad increasing the uncertainty, is the fact that people really want to work with self-employed. Uh, in between brackets because it is most of the time a lot less costly for somebody to work with a self-employed than to work with uh, an employee. But people want to work with self-employed, but then in the end, they still want some of the control over these people, control when they work uh, and how they work, how they deliver their work. So the distinction is, is quite difficult to make. And with the gig economy, you see the case law going in all directions, uh, even though we realize that some of these people need uh, some forms of protection, labor and employment law protection, but the distinction is very hard to make. Mm -hmm. And now you see that governments in this COVID crisis don't seem to make the same distinction uh, or, or do not stress on the importance of the distinction but also realize that a lot of these self-employed people or these workers who are not really subordinate employees, that they actually need some kind of unemployment support. And since it's so difficult to make the distinction into two or three categories, it, it, it begs the question for me, why don't we just get rid of all of the distinctions and provide a basic uh, protection for uh, all workers uh, and don't make that distinction anymore between self-employed worker and uh, subordinate employee. Working time issues, same kind of thing. I think we will have difficulties uh, trying to apply the same legislation that we have been applying for 100 years, especially also with the homework. When are we going to control when work is being done, etc. So it, it really, for me, it it we could use this crisis to uh, really rethink our whole systems, I think. Whether anybody, any government will have the courage to do so, I don't know. But at least I think the occasion is there to have a fundamental rediscussion uh, of these distinctions. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's really fascinating stuff, Chris. That's very interesting to hear. Thank you for your thoughts. Um, you can find Chris's article in our flagship publication, The Word, as I say, and there's a link to it in the description of this podcast. The Word contains lots of interesting articles, and the intention of it is really to have a peer through the mists beyond COVID and think about what sort of world and workplace we might find on the other side of it. So lots of discussion of longer term remote working, mental health issues, diversity and inclusion, etc. And for me, what I think is a fascinating discussion of the cityscape and the effect long term changes to working patterns might have on it going forward. And of course, there is way more material on our website on the whole raft of employment related issues. Just go to usaboris.com and have a browse. That's it for this episode of Talking Work. But we'll be back very soon with more insights from our guests from around the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit usaboris.com to access all our content resources and tools.